Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, February 13th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So interview season is still very much upon us. I mean, I think, you know, schools continue to issue invites, but what's what's the latest news that you're seeing on the wires and all that? Yeah, I mean, we we are seeing a lot of in, invites out there, um, especially schools that sort of tend to trickle them out rather than release them all in, in one go, um, Stanford, for example, and so forth. But this upcoming week, um, Wharton is scheduled to release invites um, on Friday. Um, we don't know yet when Sloan is releasing invites, unless they release them in the last couple of days. You know, since yeah. we recorded this to to live. But I would quite, I would wouldn't be surprised if Sloan also releases its invites um, if it hasn't already done so this upcoming week. We are getting to the end of the sort of time frame where the big schools that release invites all at once um, yeah. um, release them. Yeah, and we're also seeing people using that question feature on LiveWire to say, "Hey, if I haven't gotten an interview invitation yet from School X, you know, am I out of the out of the running?" That's always the trouble with the schools that kind of drip them out. People are yeah. sort of on yeah. pins and needles. I mean, the, the, a couple yeah. of schools that come to mind there is Yale and Haas. They are notorious yeah. Yeah. for for <laughs> delaying and delaying and delaying. So yeah, um, those, those of those that are waiting for Haas, there's still plenty of opportunity, and the same can be said for Yale. Yeah, I would not lose hope. Some of these programs literally send out, you know, invites right up to the wire. So yeah, stay tuned on that. Uh, I did want to just give a little shout out to our ClearAdmit Plus uh, users who joined us on the Monday. We had a, we had a webinar last week. Uh, we do that every month for ClearAdmit Plus uh, users or subscribers, and it's just nice to see some of the folks that tune into the show come and and <laughs> and interact with us. So that's always a lot of fun. Obviously, if you're applying to business school and you want to sign up for ClearAdmit Plus. It's a whole suite of, you know, extra um, tidbits and, and admissions advice. There's a whole video series that Alex and I recorded that you get access to. And we have a lot of data that you get access to as well. So that's fun. And we do this monthly webinar. So so anyway, enough on that. But I did want to thank everyone who showed up for that last week. Uh, over on the website, Alex, we've been continuing to run out these kind of career-oriented pieces. And I did mention last week, I kind of previewed this one, but we did a big piece on finance. And you know, what are the jobs that people get? And in particular, finance is one of the best areas to probe on the data because schools actually do great reporting around what percentage of their graduates and and how many go into like private equity versus say venture capital or investment management or investment banking. So we have like a treasure trove of data that uh, Elliot on our team has kind of combed through and we did this great piece. And, you know, it just was really interesting to see, and I mentioned it last week, you know, which schools are sending the most into which domains. But Alex, did you have any any kind of thoughts on that piece? I know you've probably seen it now and you helped edit it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, like you say, it completely reveals that not all is the same in the finance industry, right? Yeah. So that sort of delineation between buy side and sell side yeah. and which schools sort of favor one over the other. Um, and yeah, really super, super interesting. Yeah. And one of the schools that stood out in that, as you might expect, was Wharton. And I know we're kind of homers for Wharton because we both, uh, you know, I have an MBA from Wharton. We both worked at Wharton, but it, it, they did stand out in these analyses on the kind of, um, you know, buy side uh, with, with private equity and venture capital and stuff. So that was kind of interesting, as, as did Stanford and Harvard. Uh, we Speaking of Wharton, though, we did run a piece, a real humans piece for Wharton. Their, their students were a little slower, I guess, 
to get in touch. So they might be one of the last ones that we're running for this season, but we connected with six different Wharton students. So if that's a school that's on your list, read that piece on the site. It's just great. We asked them about their application strategy, how things are going at Wharton, what it's like to be a first year student, all that kind of stuff. So check that out. We also did a piece on the Columbia Business School uh, Africa Business Conference that that program organized, and they invite other schools. So actually, the piece that we ran was written by a Tuck student as part of our Fridays from the Frontline series, where we get kind of students at, at schools to kind of weigh in with what's happening. And so we have this nice piece about a Tuck student that went to the Columbia Africa Business Conference, lots of um, really amazing speakers at that event. And yeah, so that's something you can check out if you're interested in kind of what's happening in, in kind of business in Africa. Yeah, not, nice to see the cooperation amongst these top programs. Yeah, and actually, that's something that I think um, a lot of applicants are unaware of. But a lot of these schools, when it comes to conferences in these kind of niche areas, you know, business in Africa or energy or sustainability, they often do team up and put on, you know, events yeah. and things. So I think that I think it's really great, actually. Yeah. The other thing is we're running a series of admissions tips all about interviewing. And so the most recent one that went up was resume versus application-based interviews. And those are the two big, you know, other than say a team-based discussion or something, um, you know, those are the two main flavors of interview. Either you're going to walk into an interview and just have your resume and the interviewer will not know um, much about your background other than what's on the resume, or you'll go into an interview at a place like HBS or Sloan where they've combed through your application and, and know quite a bit about you. There may be other schools I'm forgetting that do it that way, Alex. But yeah, so that that's a good tip though, in terms of knowing. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> so important to know this stuff when you go in. Like, who are you sitting down with? What do they know about you? Uh, over on the website, one other thing I wanted to mention is that if you see posts that you like, please click that like button. It helps people earn points and then stars. And I think I need to talk to Lauren on our team, but we're going to soon roll out the kind of reward system where if you get a star, you get a prize. If you get two stars, et cetera. And, and I think you only need... I can't remember if it's 30 likes to get uh, your first star and then 60 for the second, 90 and so on. So um, I got to talk to Lauren about that, Alex. But yeah, just remember to show, show some love if you're seeing stuff, comments, uh, posts, et cetera, on the site that you like. Uh, we have one event upcoming, and that is going to be on February 22nd. It's our first kind of Real Humans MBA students event. So we're going to um, actually have a panel of current students from UNC Keenan Flagler, Berkeley Haas, Wharton, MIT Sloan, SMU Cox, and Chicago Booth. And you can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash RH students live, all lowercase, all one word. And that should be fun. I mean, we're just going to get to hear from all these current MBA students about life in, in the MBA program and a great thing to do if you've already applied and um, are kind of looking for intel on what it's like, or if you're an early bird starting to kind of plan your, your strategy and looking to just, you know, pick up some information about these programs. Uh, other than that, Alex, yeah, yeah, it should be a great show. Yeah, it's, yeah. it'll be fun. I yeah. want to, yeah, hat tip to, um, I guess it's Vic and Mike on the team that have been really organizing that so that we'll see how that goes. Uh, if you want to reach out to Alex or myself, you can send an email to info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps. Other than that, Alex, you've picked out some candidates for us to discuss this week. So are you ready to dive in? Let's kick on. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. 
So our first contestant <laughs> this week uh, is an ApplyWire entry that you selected, and it's a candidate who's got 10 schools on the target list, and those schools are Cornell, Duke, Michigan, Kellogg, Stern, Chicago, UCLA, USC, McCombs, and Darden. They are actually in the process of applying. Um, they, so they'd love to start in the fall. They've been working as a financial planning analyst uh, and a deputy, well, they've had different roles. So financial planning analyst, then financial planning coordinator, and I believe currently deputy director of finance. Uh, they'd love to get into maybe private equity or they have a, a bunch of different things that they've listed, uh, private equity, consumer goods and entrepreneurship. And so we'll shed more light on that in a moment, but their GRE score is a 321. Their GPA was a 3.15. They do have a, a post-grad, like a master's degree in corporate finance. Um, and that degree uh, is a 3.65 in terms of their performance in that program. So a little bit better than the 3.1. They also, um, I asked them and they mentioned that their undergraduate degree um, was from a very well-recognized school in Colombia, which is where they're applying from. They don't know their rank, um, but they think that they did pretty well. Um, They've been working for four years in real estate, kind of in construction in Colombia, and it's a big company. I guess it's one of the most important in the region. And yeah, as I said, their current position is a kind of deputy director of finance. So yeah, Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? Somebody from Colombia, the numbers don't jump off the page, but what do you think, what do you think of their, their kind of situation? Yeah, the, their numbers are definitely probably the weakest aspect of the profile. Um, 321 GRE um, and um, 3.15 um, GPA, but they do have that graduate degree and assume there's probably a little bit less grade inflation in that undergraduate degree. Yeah. Um, so, 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 but, but those are the challenges. I mean, if, if that GRE score was sort of in the mid 320s, um, I'd be a little bit more um, at ease with the profile because I do like other aspects of this profile. You know, coming from Colombia, they're, they're underrepresented from a geographic standpoint. Um, working in real estate and construction, I think that's probably um, quite an interesting sort of other aspect of their, their profile, you know, in terms of strength, um, their professional profile. Their goal is to return to their business, and I, I'll, I'll read it out because they answer that question specifically. Um, Post-MBA goals um, are to continue as director of finance in the same company they work for. They have several plans for the future, and it's their responsibility to lead them. So I think that the, the goal situation makes a lot of sense. Their returns to their company, so they're low risk, um, and so on and so forth. Um, so quite honestly, Graham, I think there is a lot to like here. Um, I'm a little bit worried about what this 315 GPA truly means. Um, they, they didn't provide the context of whether, you know, that that is is a sort of a, a decent GPA or not. In, if, if it was in the U.S., we would know that that would be subpar, yeah. um, for example. Um, but, yeah, the professional side, the fact that they're from Colombia um, and, and so forth makes me think there's there's some... There are schools that are going to be interested in this profile. Um, Ross has invited them to interview. They've applied to um, Johnson. They applied to both these programs on a test waiver, which I think is quite interesting since they have a 321 GRE. Um, and they're also planning to apply to the remainder of the programs that they have listed in round three. 
So that's also a little bit risky, I think, Graham. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of kind of balls in the air here, in the air here. But I would say I, I agree with you. I mean, being from Colombia, huge asset. I like their work experience. Although their goals sounded kind of foggy, it turns out that you know they're going to return to their employer. I think when they mentioned private equity, consumer goods, entrepreneurship, that's kind of longer term things that they might be mulling over, um, and they put that on the post here. But it sounds like for their applications, they're kind of telling a story of you know a kind of logical progression, returning to their company. It's sounds like at an even higher level um, because they'll be the director of finance instead of deputy director. So that all makes sense. I agree the numbers are a little worrisome. I'm hoping that the graduate degree that they have where they have that 365 will kind of outweigh the lower performance in undergrad. And like you say, maybe there's some great inflation in the U.S. that isn't present in some of these other markets like Colombia. So hopefully they'll kind of eke through. But I agree, it's they're kind of late to the game. They've applied with a test waiver. Yeah, it, I guess we're going to have to see. It is a positive sign that they got an interview um, for Ross. So that yeah. suggests to me, I mean, you know, they probably wouldn't get an interview if they were sort of, you know, disqualified academically off the bat. So, so we'll see. One of the things I thought was interesting about this candidate is they said... Um, in their notes, they mentioned, I'll just read this little quote. They said, the purpose of the MBA is not limited to improving my professional profile, but also as a personal challenge to prove to myself that I can be an exceptional leader with the rigorous knowledge that is required to assume this role. So I just thought it was interesting that they said that, and I'm hoping that some of that type of language was in their file, because it suggests that they're you know, not just in this to kind of bolster the the resume, but that they think of it as a real growth um, kind of experience for them. So I, I thought that was nice and a, and a good sentiment that hopefully comes across in their interview and et cetera. But I, I would say if they don't, if things don't work out, if I were this person, I would go back, maybe retake the GRE and apply in round one next year to a set of top schools and, and see where it goes. But yeah. we'll see. I'm kind of optimistic that they're going to get an offer from one of these programs, but we'll see. <laughs> So what about this idea of um, GMAT waiver and a, or, or a test waiver, I should say, yeah. and a test score of 321? So I'm assuming maybe they took that test recently to get the 321 subsequent to them applying in round two to these programs of, of which they applied with the test waiver. Right. Um, can someone or should someone apply with the test waiver if they have a test score? Is that ethical? <laughs> I I, I, getting some clarity on that would be quite interesting. Yeah, I need to talk to some admissions folks because on the one hand, I mean, you can request a waiver. They don't say if you've taken the test, you're not allowed to request it. They don't really get into that. Um, and I think there's sort of kind of dueling interests at play here. So on the one hand, the schools have test waivers because they want to, you know, open the admissions process to as many people as possible. Or in some cases, you know, there's currently even layoffs. And so schools are saying, oh, you can come in with a waiver because you wouldn't have time to prepare for and take a test. Um, so there's kind of that thing. But then there's also the notion that, you know, schools are kind of graded on the stats of their incoming class when it comes to rankings and, and stuff like that, or people look at the class profile. And so I do wonder to what extent a school might be selfishly thinking, hey, if this person has a really low score, I'd rather them take the waiver route so that when they come into my class, that score is not lowering the average of the class profile. But I don't really know. I mean, it's just speculation here. So it, it is an interesting yeah. <laughs> situation because there's the school's worried about attracting the best applicants, but they're also a little bit worried about their class profile, I would assume. So... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, so if everyone that, that gets a test score below the average or the median for the schools they're applying, <laughs> then 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 decide to go the the, the the waiver route, 
then that median score would just bounce all the way up. I mean, it is a really interesting sort of conundrum. I personally think that schools should have to disclose what percentage of their class came in with a test and what didn't. And I'm not sure that there's consistent disclosure about that at this juncture. I had always, this is like naive me, I had always assumed that part of the accreditation process was predicated on, you know, students coming in with a a equivalent to a four-year college degree and, you know, uh, having taken a standardized test. Obviously that's not the case because so many schools are doing waivers that they wouldn't risk their accreditation for that. So, so apparently you don't need a test. It's not part of the accreditation, but, or maybe there's some threshold, like a certain percentage of students have to have taken a test. I honestly don't know, but it is interesting (laughs) to explore in these um, crazy days with, with test waivers and everything. So in, in round three, should this person apply with the test waiver or with the 321 GRE? Um, I think, you know, there are a lot of schools on their list. I mean, Cornell actually included where the average score, Duke, the average GRE score, I think, is right around there. So I, I would probably use the score. At least it demonstrates that they're right. able to, you know, to, to perform and roughly at the level of the average that students are getting in with. So I think for the most part, I would just use it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't shy away from it. Very good. Could it be a better score? Sure, but you know. <laughs> anyway, let's thank that person for submitting their profile and move on to talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So the next candidate that you picked, Alex, is again an apply wire entry we received. This person is not looking to start for quite some time because they are a deferred enrollment candidate. So they're actually going to apply, you know, now in the spring for all these deferred enrollment offerings at top schools. And they have a whopping 12 schools on the list. It's basically every top MBA program that offers a deferred option. So, you know, Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Columbia, Emory's on the list, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford. You know, I could go on, but it's basically all the schools that offer deferred enrollment. And what that means is this person's going to apply now, go off and work for a couple of years at minimum, and then start the MBA. And so they have kind of this opportunity to maybe lock in their seat. Uh, They've been uh, offered a job in... Uh, tech sales at, at a FANG company. Uh, so th- that's what they're going to do when they graduate from college, and they'll probably do that right up until they start the MBA. Their GPA is a 3.5. Uh, they're currently a senior, as I said, I- in undergrad. It's a top 20 university in the United States that they're attending, and they're majoring in a STEM uh, field, which is, I guess, health science and data science. That's what they're um, kind of studying. As I said, GPA is a 3.5. They took the GMAT, it sounds like, and they have a 700 on that test. They're located in California. They're not too fussed about where they land after business school because it's such a long way (laughs) down the road. I should also mention that this student is uh, underrepresented minority. They indicate they're African-American. We don't know the gender, so male or female, but um, that's that's kind of the the sort of um, background of the person. It sounds like... um, they did they've done some internships one of which was with amazon web services so yeah they've had a a, an interesting set of experiences i mean they're still a college student so they don't have the kind of you know work experience that we see with a typical uh, apply wire entry because they're you know doing deferred but uh you know they've got some outside activities as well i'll kind of stop there though i mean because this is an interesting case and they were sort of wondering about their test score 700 being kind of below average for some of their target schools and they specifically asked us alex like what what do we make of that and and what what we think like whether they're wasting their time or not in applying to deferred enrollment right. so i'll let you take it from here <laughs> yeah i mean that answer that question quickly is no they're not wasting their time yet yeah, there is obviously effort involved in applying to these deferred admissions programs and the reason why i chose this 
um, Canada is obviously deferred admissions deadlines are forthcoming and we're running a bunch of work. Well, we've had webinars that focus on this, so it is quite topical. Yeah. Um, so for deferred admissions candidates, there's, other than the cost and the effort to apply deferred admissions, there's no real downside because if you're not admitted, then you just kick on with your, your the career that you've sort of planned for yourself post-undergrad. And if, if the MBA still remains part of your plans uh, in three to four years' time or whatever it is, then um, reapply at that juncture. And um, you, there's no stigma attached. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes the admit rates are a little bit higher anyway. So, so I would say do it. Um, just do it, as Nike would say, um, and, <laughs> and so forth. Maybe narrow the list a little bit. Um, there's quite a lot on the list which would... would be quite quite difficult to 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 do um and the other thing that sort of is a little bit of a concern for me anyway is the 700 on the gmat um if there was a chance that they could retake that gmat and edge up those points a little bit that would make an impact no doubt in my mind um if if and, and again it goes back to the advice that any for any candidate whether you're deferred candidate or, or a regular candidate, the weakest element of your profile will be the most important element. And if there's anything that you can do about that weaker element, um, it elevates the whole sort of profile. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll just leave that as it is. Now, is 700 good enough? I mean, um, they, 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 it will be below average for several of the programs that they're targeting, but their 3.5 GPA is, is going to be close to average. Um, and I think other aspects of their profile will, will give them some leeway and so forth. Um, so, so maybe 700 is going to be good enough. So they, if they don't have the um, bandwidth to retake the test, um, then, um, then they, they got to go with what they've got anyway. Right. Um, yeah. the key here is they, they've done some pro probably pretty interesting internships. It's led them down a pathway where they feel real comfortable and confident that they've identified the career that they're truly interested in, um, in, in tech, tech sales for, to start, but, but sort of evolving in tech. Um, so I think that's going to play very positively in this process for a deferred admit yeah. um, and so forth. So, so on the, at the end of the day, they should kick on and do it. There's no real, real um, cost cost to doing that, but the seven hundred probably is a little bit of a, a concern. But there's lots of other stuff here that's that's very attractive. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you point out, which I, I wasn't really thinking of when we first selected this candidate, is that you know they probably need to pare down this list. Like, I think it would be really hard yeah. as a college senior to apply to twelve programs, not to mention get recommenders to do all that work too. So I would recommend that they pare it down and that they go for it. I would aim high. You know, I mean, there's no, as you say, there's like you know, there's no real risk here because they can apply to business school the way everyone else does in a few years if it doesn't work out. Yeah. So I would probably aim high or, you know, don't apply anywhere that you wouldn't be absolutely thrilled to go is what I would say. Only aim for the M7. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Because again, it's like, what, what are they trying to do here? Get a guaranteed spot in a top MBA program, right? right? So let's imagine in three or four years time, wherever they are in their career and presumably be quite high trajectory, you know, given that they're this type of candidate, 
Um, and they've been able to retake the GMAT. So they've got that 730 or 740 or whatever, and they're applying in three or four years time. Um, they should, again, at that point, only be focused on the very, you know, the very top program. So why lock into something, let's say, a top 16 or top 20 now, when in three or four years, you're going to be able to, to you know, right. present a stronger profile all around and target M7. So back to your point, but when you narrow that list down to four or five programs, just make it the best. That's it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, the only thing I think someone might counter with is they would say, well, you know, what if you, you know, get that offer from a top 16 and put it in your back pocket, and then in two years, you simultaneously apply as a regular candidate to go to another school. And, but I don't like that, because it's sort of like you're, you're kind of leading on the other school that's admitted you deferred, you're probably having to put down some money, like, it just seems like better off to just aim high, yeah. hopefully you get in somewhere. I do think that, I mean, this candidate has a ton to offer and is likely to be snatched up by a top school, um, even with the lower test score. Uh, so I think it's worth it, you know, just give it a shot. But I would not apply to 12 schools. I would look to have, yeah. have that number or even more. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I, I think it's a really interesting case. I'm actually, I've been preparing, you know, we're recording this in advance and I'm about to sit down um, later today with the people who run deferred enrollment at Harvard, Stanford, MIT, Columbia, and um, Chicago booth. So it's kind of, uh, I'm a little, I got to be honest, Alex, I'm a little nervous. Those are some heavy hitters that I'm going to sit down and quiz today yes. on a panel. But yeah, this deferred stuff is really interesting and it's a great path for younger candidates to consider um, if they know they want an MBA when they're still in, in college. So anyway, we'll see how it goes. Well, I want to wish this person the best of luck though. <laughs> Yeah, and just for a bit of history, this is a more recent focus of top programs yes. because basically the outstanding undergrads, when when they're graduating, they're thinking some, you know, some of them are thinking of going on to do master's degrees and so forth. Um, and, and, you know, given that most master's programs happen just after the undergrad, before you go on then to do your professional work, um, and the MBA industry needs to figure out, well, how can they compete for some of those best people? Yeah, so that's what um, this is. So yeah. they, they then develop these deferred programs. Now, I'm not saying they developed them in the last couple of years, but certainly over the last 20 years, yes. um, more and more top programs are going down this route to figure out how to best target these elite undergraduate candidates that are considering a variety of different master's options. Yeah, and, and frankly, within the last five years, there's been a real periphery. I mean, there, there, there were a number of these that existed. Harvard 2 plus 2 has been around for a while. And, and often schools have these like sub-matriculation programs where if you were a current student yeah. in the undergraduate institution, you could go right into the MBA at that same institution. Wharton had that. Um, but now it's been expanded. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of growth. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's an interesting offer. Uh, I want to wish that candidate the best of luck and thank them for sharing their profile. Uh, again, yeah, just we'll see what happens. Hopefully they'll keep us posted. Let's move on, though, Alex, and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So our last candidate of the week, we're actually going to do another ApplyWire entry because we didn't, I guess you didn't pick any, there weren't enough good decision wire candidates to choose from in terms of people debating a, a tough decision. And that makes sense because we're kind of out of the round one decision mode. And, and so we'll, we'll get back into some decision wire entries probably in March when, when people get news of round two acceptances. Um, so this candidate um, is, again, an apply wire entry that, um, you know, they want to start school in the fall. 
um, they've got, or actually, they, they sorry, they're not going to be, they're going to be applying next fall um, to start after that, right? So it's really 2024 that they're targeting. They've got six schools on the list at the moment, and those schools are Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Tuck, Duke, Stanford, and Yale SOM. This person's currently a local government auditor in a capital city. Um, they lead a team of five. They've completed a handful of performance audits that have received regional media attention. Um, so, and they used to work in state government doing budget and contract management. So this is a public sector um, employee. They have a really interesting personal background too. So this person uh, immigrated to the United States when they were five years old. Um, they say they're from the Horn of Africa. Uh, and so then they you know, went to undergrad in the US where they earned a degree in biomedical sciences. They have a master's in a health related field where they earned a 3.69. Um, their undergrad was a, was a 3.44. They've been working for seven years um, and they have not yet taken a standardized test. They're hoping that they can get you know, somewhere in that 700 range on the GMAT. They're currently taking a, a six month kind of prep course because again, they're not gonna apply till this fall. They're also um, thinking about applying via the consortium um, which is a, a, a way for underrepresented students to apply to a number of schools via a sort of common application. Um, although each school does have its own kind of, you know, separate essay questions and things, but there's sort of a facilitated way to apply um, to a group of schools at once. Uh, so that's kind of the story. They do um, have some extracurriculars. They, you know, are active with their local neighborhood association. Um, they volunteered at a handful of different um, campaigns, I guess, in their in their neighborhood and stuff. So they're they're active, um, interesting personal background. Their post MBA career goal is to actually get into consulting. They'd love to work at Bain, BCG, Deloitte, KPMG, or McKinsey. Now, one of the things that was interesting about this candidate and their goals is they talk about wanting to ultimately get back into you know kind of a government role, but that they feel like working in the private sector and getting the MBA, et cetera, would be great tools to take back into the kind of government sector. Um, so I'll stop there. There was a lot of um, back and forth with this candidate on the website because they asked a number of questions. And, um, but let's, I just wanted to hear kind of your initial take, Alex, and some of that you know, discussion that ensued. And we can, they, they did ask us some specific questions that we can get into as well. Yeah, there are two, two um, issues here to, to sort of focus on. One is, yeah, they've got to take the GMAT. Um, they're a little bit nervous about um, the, the the test um, because they struggle on standardized tests. So like you say, they're taking the six month prep course. Um, and again, quite frankly, the higher that test score comes in, the better it's going to be for them um, um, and, and so on and so forth. So there is quite a lot of pressure, I hate to say, it, on them performing particularly well. Um, but yeah, if they can hit that 700 or 700 plus, um, that would be huge um, um, for them. Um, the other thing is they're also applying at the age of um, 33. Um, so um, they, they have eight years of, um, of work experience. So I'm, I'm not quite computing what, what occurred from, you know, I, I assume they graduated um, at 21, 22, went straight into a master's. For two years, maybe. I'm, I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. And then um, have, have the, um, the, the eight years of experience. Um, but yeah, as, a, as an older candidate, they're going to have to really show fit 
um, as that they will, you know, be actively engaged in in the program and so on and so forth, both academically and career career so career management as well as the, all the extracurricular activities. Um, so that's just something else that will. Um, be important but that might also put a bit more pressure on that GMAT because they're eight years away from their undergraduate well their graduate degree as it were three they've got a 369 um, GPA um, on, on the graduate side like you I like their um, experience um, in, in sort of the, the public sector yeah and certainly appreciate their desire for the MBA and some some private sector experience consulting before returning to the public sector. I do think, Graham, the one other issue that they'll, they'll need to address, and maybe you can talk to this, is differentiating doing a top MBA versus maybe a master in public policy yeah. or, or whatever these other government-related programs. Yeah, I thought about that. That some <laughs> adcom might think that they're... They're, they're quite aligned with. Yeah, so the, I actually, that was one of the first things I thought about. I actually found myself typing a note to them on the site saying, hey, have you considered, you know, and as I was writing it, I read more closely the um, their grad degree, which they were kind of, they didn't give us a lot of details on, but they have a graduate degree and they talk about it being in kind of health and um, I wonder if it's in public health, but I was thinking maybe they already have kind of a MPH or, or something that would be too similar to merit going back right. and getting like a, a public policy degree, even though it sounds like it might be health focused, but it's still, there's a lot of overlap with some of these programs. So I was thinking maybe that's what it is. They don't want to, you know, they've already, but, but I agree with you that someone could look at their profile and say, well, why wouldn't you just go to the Kennedy school and, and still go work in consulting? Cause you know, some of the consulting firms hire out of those programs or, you know, or the Princeton school of public policy, or and there are a lot of these great um, policy programs, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like business school admissions readers like that story of, well, I've been in local government I want to really learn the for-profit side, get an MBA, go work, and then bring that back into the fold. It seems like that's a, a refrain I've heard before. And so I'm, I think they can make the argument. Um, I do agree with you that, you know, they're older. The test score ideally will come in um, above, you know, 700 or above so that they're competitive. Because, you know, when you look at their school targets. It's not like they're, you know, I mean, they, they have some good schools on the list, um, including Stanford, right? Uh, so, I mean, they have a variety of programs, so, but it's mostly top 16, let's say, right? So they're going to need to perform. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there is a gap between Stanford and the rest of the programs yeah. they're targeting. Yeah. And they might want to plug that gap a little bit. Yeah, that's bit. a good point. Um, so yeah. they, they're applying to Stanford, which is top program in, in, in the world, first or second um, sure. with, with Harvard. And then obviously you've got Wharton and the rest of the M7 and then then ha and Hass and Tuck before Yale. So they've got Yale on their list, yeah. but that's the next. They've got Tuck and Yale on the list, but that's the next after Stanford. So I think I would yeah, that's a good point. encourage them to look at another M7. Yeah. And you know what I would say to them as well is I would say, look, um, I wouldn't worry about the tests for now. I mean, they're... they're they have. They just started a six-month kind of um, prep course for the test, and so I would say, you know, work hard on the test, and you know, let's see where it lands before we, you know, kind of yeah. start to strategize. Like, I really think they need to get that out of the way. They'll apply via the consortium. I think that gives them good odds as well, because I mean, they're. I presume they're. You know, they've immigrated a long time ago, so I presume they're a U.S. Um, 
either you know green card holder, resident, or even citizen. And so I feel like they're yeah. going to be sought yeah. after. So yeah, if I'm them, I just focus, put my head down, get the test done because the career is lining up really well. They would be such an interesting person to have on a learning team with that kind of public sector experience. So yeah, just focus on the test and I think everything else could fall into place. I did want to mention that this person uh, wrote us such a nice note. They said, I discovered your podcast in January of 23 and loved it so much that I went all the way back to January of 22 um, and listened to at least two, I'm currently listening to at least two to three episodes a day. So they're like basically going through an entire year's worth of, of episodes. Um, so yeah, either they have nothing better to do, Alex, I don't know. No, it's brilliant. <laughs> don't know what it is, but I, I, yeah, I, no, it's great that they're tuning in. Yeah, I got one more question for this, uh, for you, for this candidate, because, um, you know, they, they're going to take the six month course, take, take the GMAT. They, they're going to need to leave enough time for a potential retake. Um, you know, that's general advice we always offer if you've got the time, schedule yeah. enough time for a retake in case you need to do that. But it also makes me think that whilst obviously they're thinking about this early and they can apply round one next season, fantastic. If they end up applying round two because they've got to delay their applications a little bit because of getting a slightly better test score or something like that, to me, it won't matter. They'll be similarly competitive in round two as they would be in round one. Um, they're not overrepresented. Um, so just yeah. sort of throwing that out there, Graham, that whilst they probably want to get all their ducks in a row in sort of September, October and get those round one apps in, if that becomes a stress, get ready for January. Yeah, I think, yeah, the only other thing I would say is that, I mean, if there's a way for them to condense that GMAT prep and work hard for the next four months and take it, you know, early summer and then have another take in August if they need to, um, that would work too. But I, yeah, but I hear you. Yeah. Like they're not, they're competitive in round one or round two. I wouldn't wait another yeah. year. That was another thing they were kind of wondering. No. Um, no. So anyway, yeah. So great candidate. I mean, just really interesting, but but some challenges ahead. Hopefully they'll just, you know, perform really well on the test and, and get it done. I mean, that's that's going to be the key kind of linchpin, I think. So Very good. Uh, yeah, want to thank them for sharing their profile. Alex, thanks for picking these out as always. And uh, we'll be back in one week's time to do it all again. Very good. Best of luck, everyone. Stay safe.